Okay, so it's great to see everybody. And um, good to be here. Uh, Thanks, Rabbi. Thank you. Thank you for coming. We uh, last week finished up chapter five, which I said was kind of completing one section, and that was building the full view of what the godly soul is, godly soul's powers, what the godly soul wants. And this week, we're going to move on to the animal soul, the other side, the other side of the equation. Um, it's important to remember what the godly soul is made out of. It's made out of the uh, 10 powers, three intellectual, seven emotional, plus um, the, the three uh, clothing, if we want to call it, the thought, speech, and action, which allow us to connect to God. And we spoke about deeply, what is it that godly soul wants, mitzvahs, Torah, and all that good stuff. This week, we're going to talk about the opposite, okay? And of course, as always, we have to start with a joke. So the joke goes like this. I spent hours trying to find out what the opposite of night was. But in the end, I just had to call it a day. Okay, all right. Um, that one was terrible. <laughs> well, that's the idea. Okay. So, I like that one. Uh, Okay, okay, okay. All right. It's 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 intentional. That's the fun part of it. So we're I'm saying that because we're talking about opposites. We're going to talk about opposites. And uh, this is really the idea here today. We're going to talk about opposites. In fact, this is the first line we're going to read today. So I'm going to start off with a line and then we'll get into the discussion about it. It's chapter six, um, page 83. So chapter six, page 83 starts off like this. The previous four chapters have elaborated on the divine soul, its nature, chapter two, its mental and emotional powers, chapter three, its garments of thought, speech, and action, chapter four and five. In this chapter, we return to the animal soul discussed in chapter one, which is the source of negative self-centered consciousness. And we quote from Ecclesiastes. We say like this, now God has made one opposite the other, Ecclesiastes 7.14. To empower us with free choice, God has set the positive and negative forces within the universe in perfect equilibrium. The positive and negative forces have not only the same amount of power, they also have the same architecture. So we're going to pause here. This is the main word we're focusing on. These are two opposites. So let's break this down. What, what opposites? Um, the first thing we have to understand is like this. I'm sorry, I'm just going to mute everybody for a moment. And uh, we welcome, of course, Tommy, for any questions. This makes the recording clearer. Um, when we talk about opposites, you know, if you read the chapters uh, two through four, five, actually, you might come away with this uh, feeling that, you know, we're just these super, super holy people, right? I mean, you read all about our, our, our godly soul and how everybody has a godly soul. There's just differences because of the gestation period and what our godly soul desires. And so the author is saying, hold on a moment. Obviously, you study Tanya, you know there's a godly soul. But if you're ever wondering why it's so difficult to do the right things, that's because you have an animal soul. And not only do you have an animal soul, you have an animal soul that is an equation. It is a mirror of the godly soul. So it's not just a other force. It is an equally, in a sense, an equally powerful force 
with built out in the same exact way. Why, obviously, because if we want to talk about free will, in order for there to be free will, you have to have an equal power on either side, okay? So you need to have opposites that are equal. Now, a lot of times when we talk in English, when we say opposites, opposites are not necessarily the same. For example, light and dark are opposites, but they're not, they're, they're not the same at all, right? Or fire and water, um, a dark, you know, dark, uh, you know, black and white, uh, plus and minus, good, you know, life and death. They are opposites, but they are not equally the same, right? That's what we have to understand here is not only are they opposites, but they have an equal power, an equal track to each other. Okay, again, say, again, saying the word opposite in English doesn't fully express what we're going to present over here. I'll give an example. The, uh, the closest example we could have to this is the Talmud says, whatever exists on dry land exists in the sea. In other words, there's a, so to speak, a counterpart for every animal and every flower on earth in the sea. It's not just opposites. They, they, they have their own build out, their own entire ecosystem. Okay. Now, these opposites of good and bad exist not only within the world, as we'll discuss in later chapters, but as we're going to discuss in this chapter, these opposites and these two powerful opposite forces exist within us. If you were to imagine, imagine a Moses and a Pharaoh, okay, two opposite powers. Obviously, Moses is more powerful. And as we'll probably eventually discuss at some point later in the Tanya, how, um, how the godly soul is in a way more powerful than the animal soul. But it's not apparent and it's not easy and it's not easy to tap into, which is why uh, it is considered free will. Um, so... In order to discuss opposites, let us recap. What is it that the godly soul wants? The godly soul is always curious. What is it that God wants? What is my mission in the world? What is the most important thing for me to do right now? How can I give the most of myself to make a change in this world? If you notice, all of those line items um, have a lack of ego in them, okay? It's, it's completely mission and what I'm needed for and what I'm needed to do. On the other hand, no worries, no worries. On the other hand, you have, the, uh, you missed the joke though. I might have to repeat it later for you because it was really good. Uh, on the other hand, you have uh, the animal soul. The animal soul is always interested in where am I in the picture? So instead of what's my mission, it's a what can I get out of this? Instead of what does God want of me right now, it's what do I want right now. Instead of what benefit can I bring to others, it's what benefit can I bring to myself. Now, sometimes the animal soul, by bringing benefit to others, brings benefit to itself. And therefore, it's something that it desires. But it's always about me, me, me. That's the animal soul. Now, I want to also caution. The animal soul actually has three different names. It's sometimes called the nefesh hachionis, the, the soul of life because the animal souls we discussed in chapter one, you can go back to our classes, is the soul pretty much that gives us life. The, the godly souls in mesh with the animal soul. Then you have nefesativus, the natural soul. Um, it's, it's nature. Our nature is from the uh, animal soul. Eating, drinking, all, all the different things, nature. 
comes from the animal soul. And finally, it's called the animalistic soul. Now, we did discuss in chapter one that this animalistic soul, which is the main name we're going to use, is not necessarily evil. Okay, there's a difference between self-focused and evil. Okay, it's not evil. It, it, it by focusing on yourself too long, you can get to evil tendencies. But it's not necessarily evil. It's just self-focused. Okay, that's its desire in this world. Now, for for self-focused reasons, you can do good things. That's the difference between evil and good. In other words, I can live an entirely great life, helping the entire world, yet living entirely my life with my animal soul. Okay. Maybe what I seek most in life is honor. And because I seek honor, therefore, there's many things that I'm going to do. So I can live an entirely honorable life, but yet it was always my animalistic soul. Now, how do you know if it was your animalistic soul or not? Well, that will come out in certain instances, you know, when, uh, you know, you're, when, when there's something good that you can do, but it wouldn't bring you honor, uh, you probably wouldn't get to do it. But the point is that the animal soul is the opposite of the godly soul. It's self-focused as opposed to the godly soul, which is always about mission-focused and connecting to God, leaving itself. Um, there is another name that people use when we talk about uh, animalistic souls, and that's called Yetzer Hara, the evil inclination. And as I discussed in chapter one, the Yetzer Hara is not entirely the animal soul. The evil inclination is a part of the animal soul. In other words, when the animal soul is being pushed to do something evil, it will be called, uh, Yetzer Hara will be called the uh, evil inclination. It has an inclination to do evil, to do bad things. But as I mentioned a moment ago, the, the animal soul can just be animalistic, not necessarily uh, evil. Um, okay. Just um, an interesting example of this idea that the animal soul um, is just self-focused and it can come out in different ways. There's a mission on Pirkei about ethics of our fathers um, that says Hakina vaTaiva vaKavod Motina Tadam Olam that Kina jealousy Taiva desire Kavod honor remove a person from this world. What basically the mission is saying those are very evil character traits, and uh, some uh, people explain that that mission is actually a description of how our life goes, our animalistic soul. We first start off in life, Kina, we started very jealous. Little kids, they, they can't understand other people having anything. We, we are extremely jealous as children. Then as we get older, our animalistic soul moves more into taiva, pleasure. We seek out pleasure. As we get, you know, teenager and older, we uh, always pleasure seeking. And then finally, the, the last stage of our animalistic soul as we get even older is what we seek is kavod honor. That is the last, uh, so to speak, stage and journey of our animalistic soul. When our not that we don't have the other ones, but our primary goal is honor as we get older. And that these are all expressions of the uh, animalistic soul as it lives here in this earth. So that just gives you an example. The animalistic soul, exactly what it desires changes over time, or what's dominant and what it desires changes over time. But the main theme that always stays is it is self-focused. Whether it is jealousy whether it is honor, whether it is pleasure, all of those things that it desires are all part of the animalistic soul. All right, so now that we have discovered that the 
a godly soul and the animal soul are opposites in that the godly soul is mission focused on, on itself. The animal soul is focused on itself, which causes it, by the way, lots of worries. You know, when, when you focus on yourself, you're full of worries because you need to know, am I going to get that thing? Am I going to get a promotion? Am I going to get that car? Am I going to get that house? Am I going to get this? Am I, am I going to get that? It's, it's a stressful life, actually, the animal soul. Uh, it's, it's maybe more pleasurable in, in some ways, natural pleasure, um, not necessarily a lot of fulfillment, and uh, definitely a lot of, lots of worries come along with it. So it's not a, a better life in general. But uh, anyways, we've discussed the animalistic soul is self-focused. So let's read the next lines of here and we'll explain. He says like this. When he says they're opposites, and I, as I said a moment ago, they, 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 they have the same build-out. So he says, just as a divine soul is comprised of 10 holy spherotor energies, and these 10 energies are dressed in the three holy garments of pious thought, speech, and action, right? This is what we said in the previous chapters, three powers of intellect, seven powers of emotion, plus the garments, thought, speech, and action. So too, the animal, is, animal soul too has a similar architecture of 10 energies and three garments of its own, only the force which powers it comes from negative power of Sitrach, the other side of self-serving ego, egoic energy. I guess that's the word egoic. Um, so the chapter is not going to uh, break down the powers in detail. Um, so we're going to discuss it, okay? Because we want to discuss the opposites. So we want. Let's try and describe these ten powers in uh, on the opposite spectrum okay so again we want to discuss what does intellect and emotions of the animalistic soul look like the, the tanya doesn't describe it at length it described the godly soul at length and then it says well here's the opposite side of the coin uh well let's discuss that opposite side of the coin for a moment so um let's um break it down like this we're going to start actually with the emotions okay The uh, godly soul, let's discuss love. What is, uh, what does the love of the godly soul look like? Any thoughts? If it's not egocentric, what does a godly love look like? Okay, that's the first of the emotions. What does a godly love look like? Any thoughts? Right, the first, the first, the first one is called kindness or love. We discussed that at length. So what does kindness or love of the godly soul look like? Yes? Yes. Uh, it's it's, I'm sorry, yeah. Ken. Yes. So it, it's focused on the other person instead of on yourself, on the benefit of the other person. Welfare okay. of the other person. What, what, would that, what would that look like? Present to me uh, doing kindness to someone uh, for your godly soul and doing kindness to someone from your animal soul. Okay, so from the godly soul, for instance, I have to, let's say, husband and wife, she wants to go to a place that he doesn't want to go to, he hates the place, and he goes for her sake with her. Now, mm -hmm. he wants to go to a place that she doesn't want to go to, and he makes her go because he says he's the one that's calling the shots today, for example, I don't know. Mm -hmm. So, it's just opposite. Okay, when he puts okay. His, his desires and his needs before hers and when he does the opposite okay but that that's a good example i was looking for though 
where you're, you are helping someone else. Uh, so I want to take it a step further. How can there be a case where you're helping someone else, but describe to me what, what it would look like if it was coming from the godly soul or if it was from the animalistic soul? How about giving anonymous tzedakah? Okay, good example. Yep, yep. So giving anonymously, uh, which is the highest form of tzedakah versus giving uh, in public. Now, of course, I do want to mention that very often the Rebbe would tell people to give in public to inspire others to give. But nevertheless, even if you do that, I still think it's healthy occasionally to as well give anonymously to uh, keep your emotions in check. In other words, yes, it's important to help inspire others to give, but it's also, you know, you can give a little bit uh, anonymously to build that muscle of understanding. Yes, even when I give publicly, it's really not about me, it's about God. Um, so yes, that's one example. Um, I would say also, um, uh, let's say you give someone and they don't show the appreciation that you were hoping for. Um, you know, do you get all upset at them? Or you're just like, well, you know, it's sad that that's how they react, but, you know, I, I was helping them. You know, if you truly believe in the cause that you're helping, you know, um, you know, so they didn't, they didn't thank me properly. You know, that poor person, you know, uh, screamed at me. I gave them only a dollar instead of two. It happens, but that has happened to me. You give, you give a poor person money and they scream at you for giving them too little, you know? So you'd be like, all right, you know, how do you react to that? You know, that's, that, that will show, um, you know, where it's coming from. I, I also want to caution, of course, you should always do good things, even with bad intentions. Just, just putting that out there. We can't always wait till we have the best intentions. But as I've said many times, the Tanya is all about not only doing the right thing, but fostering a greater inner character to make doing the right thing better. So yes, we should always give, even when it's for the wrong intentions. But at the same time, we should try to work on ourselves to try and do things with the right feelings and try and work on our feelings because that will give us the longevity uh, of always doing the right thing. Um, uh, there's a lot of, uh, just another example, there's a lot of love out there that the that, that, that Mishnah describes is a lot of love is dependent on things, right? So you have a lot of people who love wealthy people. It's dependent on uh, uh, items and certain things and benefits that they may get. Uh, the the uh, Mishnah says the greatest uh, expression of love was the, the love between David and Jonathan, D David and Yohonatan. Yohonatan was the son of King Saul. Yohonatan, Jonathan had everything to lose by loving David, who would ultimately usurp him for the crown. But yet he loved him and it was not dependent on anything. That is a godly love where there's no ego involved. It's pure care and love for the other or pure care and love for God. Um, okay, let's, let's talk about the next character trait called givura, which is translated as severity, okay? Uh, or severity, or as we spoke about, awe, okay? So by the godly soul, we discussed that severity in the godly soul is true awe of heaven. In other words, not fear of punishment, which is again about myself, but um, I'm using, I'm either in awe of God or I'm using awe on other people to inspire them in certain ways, okay? Uh, what would severity by the animal soul look like? I think this is more obvious, uh, pure anger, okay? When things aren't going your way or when people are offending you, you get angry at them. That would be givura, severity of the, uh, of the um, animalistic soul, completely focused on you, not about a purpose, not about a mission. Um, and obviously there's no fear of heaven involved in the animalistic soul in this. Of course, the animalistic soul may uh, 
keep certain mitzvahs out of fear of punishment, that is possible if you scare it enough, okay? If your mother maybe drilled it into your head, you know, or whatever it is, you know, Jewish mother guilt or whatever she did to you. But um, that is not, uh, but again, that's self-focused, okay? Then the next one would be Tiferet beauty, okay? The third attribute of emotions is known as beauty, which is kind of a mix of uh, love and severity, but that, that's what's beautiful when you can mix the two together. But what is beauty in the godly soul? The godly soul would want beauty, for example, would want to build a beautiful synagogue. Uh, you'd want to buy beautiful mitzvahs. You'd want to get a nicer esro, get a more special uh, hadassim, or whatever, all different beautifying things for God, okay? So, you know, when you spend more money on a nicer etrog, it doesn't get you a nicer vacation. It doesn't really get you much, right? But you're doing something to beautify God. When you spend more money in your home to, to get an upgraded mezuzah, nobody's going to know that, really. Nobody knows that the scroll inside of your mezuzah is a more expensive mezuzah, okay? Um, but you know it. And uh, you, why are you doing it? You're not doing it for yourself, obviously. You're doing it for God. That's what it says. We are beautifying God when we spend more money in these things, okay? Uh, so what would beauty of the animalistic soul look like? Someone who wants to impress others. You know, you want to buy a nice house to impress other people. You want to uh, drive the fanciest car, right? There's so many people out there who live in drab houses, but they buy fancy cars so that they impress people. Um uh, you have today these people that walk around with these $150,000 boxes. I mean, for what? You know, <laughs> well, what's the point? I, I can't imagine it tells time that much better, uh, you know, $150,000 watch versus, um, you know, a regular watch. Okay, so we've described some of the, we've described the three major emotions and the rest of the emotions follow along on that path. And you can look at all of them each individually, but you get the idea what an emotion, a animalistic emotion looks like when it's focused on myself. Um, let us think now about uh, the intellectual uh, powers of the animalistic soul. And here, there is a fascinating difference between the animalistic soul and the godly soul. The godly soul, we've always described that you have to have your intellectual powers you're, you know, as you meditate about God, you think about God, and then it will help you do, you know, have emotions towards God and do the right thing. Okay. With the animalistic soul, here's the question. What comes first? Does the, do the thoughts come before the um, intellect or does the intellect come before the thoughts? Just one second. Everybody else is working. Okay. Okay. Here it is. Okay. All right. Where should I sit? Oh, you could sit. Um. Anywhere. <laughs> so, do thoughts? So, with the animalistic soul, do thoughts? Uh, does our intellect come before our emotion, or does our emotion come before our intellect? In other words, with God, I'm highly unlikely to uh, feel love towards God without thinking about Him. Okay. 
with uh, the animalistic soul. Do I need to meditate about chocolate cake in order to desire it? And you'd have to unmute yourself. <laughs> Although if you're in person, you don't need to meet you. You don't need to unmute yourself. I, I mean, I, I typically don't need to meditate about the animalistic desires that I have. We're, we're in uh, chapter six. So I don't typically need to meditate. I'm saying most, most of the stuff outside right now. So I don't typically meditate about the things that I desire. So what role does intellect play in the animalistic soul? In other words, uh, the intellect is not, I, don't, I wouldn't say it's creating the desire. Okay, I don't, I don't need to spend time meditating on chocolate cake to, to want it. Um, if you have to meditate about the things that you want, it's probably something wrong, right? In the animalistic desires, I would say. So the answer is that the animalistic soul, the intellect is used for two things. Number one, it's used to inform you about what there is around you. In other words, a, for example, uh, children, right? Why do children go to fire? It looks exciting. They don't have the intellect yet to know that fire may look exciting, but it's dangerous, right? A child that's never tasted chocolate or never tasted ketchup does not desire it because they don't know it tastes good. So the intellect is used, number one, to inform you. And number two, the intellect is used to figure out how to get what it is that you want. So let's say you're a little child. You now know that chocolate cake tastes good and you know that it's on the top shelf. So you are now going to use your mind to climb, get a ladder or climb up on, stand up on top of chairs and get to that chocolate cake. How would that look like for an adult? So an adult would... Um, any desire that we have, uh, say, animalistic, self-focused. So uh, every time I drive by on the street and I see someone else driving a fancy car, I want that car because they, they've got that car. I'm jealous. I want that car. So the, the, the intellect didn't really create uh, that desire. Desire was pretty natural. The intellect informed you about it, and then you desired it. And now you're going to figure out, how am I going to get that car? You know, where am I going to get the loan to get it? and things like that. Let's give a, um, what I'm trying to present here is that in the animalistic soul, the feelings really come before the uh, intellect. I'll give another example. Let's say uh, you have, um, uh, let's take some Jewish names, Sam, and normally I would say David, but let's pick another name. <laughs> let's say you had Sam and uh, Don is not a very Jewish name, right? Reuben. Reuben. All right. Sam and Reuben. All right. So Sam offends Reuben. Okay. Now Reuben wants to get back at Sam. So Reuben goes to his lawyer and he tells him his idea of how he wants to get back at him. And his lawyer says, well, that scheme that you have is a bad idea. How about you do it in these, this other way that'll be legal and you'll be getting back at him. And, he's, and he says, oh, great idea. All right, in this case, the intellect is helping your desire. It is not creating your desire, it is helping your desire. The lawyer, so to speak, the intellect is helping your desire. But let's say, for example, Reuben, instead of going to a lawyer, went to a rabbi, highly unlikely, but let's say he went to a rabbi instead. And the rabbi explained to him that it's not a good idea to uh, take offense and it's not a good idea to take revenge. 
in that case, um, this, the intellect creates the emotion, or in this case, kills the emotion, okay? What I'm trying to present here is that in godly areas, in our godly soul, the intellect creates or kills the emotion, and in animalistic desires, the emotions uh, get the intellect working, okay? So again, to recap, the intellect of the animalistic soul serves two things. Number one, to inform you what there exists in this world, right? Unless you know about something, you don't desire it. Like the child does not desire ketchup unless it knows about it. So it serves to inform you. Um, I think this is what advertisers, advertisers are really doing. <laughs> They're trying to present a picture on TV of something that looks very desirable, and then um, you will desire it. And uh, then the second part is how you can get it. And I, I think uh, car salesmen work on that as well. Well, it's only, you know, $3.99 a month. And, uh, you know, you can, uh, you know, for $3.99 a month, you can be riding this wonderful car. Again, they're not, they're not creating your desire for the car. In that case, they are um, helping you to get it. And so this is why when Natanya will present the intellect and emotions of the animalistic soul, it will actually present it putting the intellect after the emotions, because really in many senses with the animalistic soul, I'd say the cart comes before the horse, the heart comes before the mind. Whereas in the godly soul, the mind always creates what is going on in the animalistic soul. The, um, it's just the opposite. So let's take a look inside the text. And uh, here we are on page. Um, we are on page 83. And uh, we were in the middle of saying that just like the, um, we, we were saying just like the godly soul has the full 10 powers, intellectual and emotional, so too does the animalistic soul. And then he cautions here something that I said a moment ago, that this animalistic soul, and I'm in the third paragraph to the bottom, he says specifically its power is from the force known as Klipas Noga, the bright Klipos negativity is not irredeemable and can be realigned for the good. So this is something that I've, I've mentioned so many times in that, as I said, the animalistic soul is not necessarily evil, it's animalistic. An animal can be trained to do good things, uh, so it's not inherently evil. Then he continues, while the animal soul is spiritual and not confined to a particular place, its point of interaction with the body is in your blood where it is present. It is the source of your physical vitality. That's also why you know, we describe people, their blood is boiling. In general, as I said, the animalistic soul resides more in your emotions. The blood is very much connected with your emotions, you know, your heart rate. Um, they say today emotions are, are very much um, a bodily sensation. Uh, you know, the, the feelings of, um, you know, the sweaty palms or, the, you know, the, the heart racing or the heart slowing down or feeling calm. All those are uh, emotions very much present within your body. And that's why the animal soul, which is very much an emotional soul, is very much present in your blood. Now he says something interesting. These, the 10 powers within the animalistic soul are referred to the Zohar as the 10 crowns of impurity. Sarah, I want to mention something I didn't mention before I should have. He calls them the 10 crowns of impurity. If you recall, the, the 10 powers of the godly soul were called the 10 holy spherot or the 10 holy energies. These 10 powers are called 10 crowns. Why the word crowns? So, this actually all boils down to what we've been discussing the entire time. The animalistic desires are very egotistical. And when a desire is egotistical, 
it's uh, very much focused on itself and you don't really work with others very well. Uh, that's the sense of a crown. You know, kings don't typically get along very well. Um, a crown is, um, you, know, you know, whereas the, the, the godly emotions work very well together, animalistic emotions do not. That's why we're always, you know, we're, we're focused on our animal. We're always full of conflicting things that we want. Or actually, you know, if we want to take this a step further, we can see this was going on in the, in the, uh, uh, the, the type of discussion that goes on in the world today. You know, back in the day, I'd say we had more people who were focused on trying to help this world without focused much on themselves. Today, virtually all politicians and a lot of people, when they're discussing politics or policy or anything, uh, I'd say it's very much in the realm of the 10 crowns of impurity. It's not necessarily mission-focused. It's uh, focused on themselves, whether it's honor, whether it's desire. They may believe they're helping the world, um, but it's very much from a lens of themselves. Um, it's not it, it very much starting from an egocentric place. Uh, when, when emotions are from an egocentric place, you have little space for others. You have little space to tolerate others. That's why they're called the 10 crowns. There's no space to tolerate. Ego doesn't tolerate others very well. Um, so I would say um, the lack of cordial discussion, people being focused on themselves and how important their opinions are and uh, things like that, as opposed to say, you know, I, I truly believe this is the best way to, um, you know, help the world or whatnot. Um, and so therefore we have today a world in which... Um, there's no bipartisanship. And in fact, the word bipartisan is like a, a, a dirty word suddenly um, because we're, we're at such a point where there's a lot of me, me, me going on in all these things. Um, you know, you, a lot of times also, a lot of these, you know, sometimes I, I see these politicians, they're all looking for the next viral clip that they can put on their social media to, to send to their followers. And, you know, that's the discussions they have. And when they can, you know, when they can create a clip it's not as much about trying to get something done. So it's just a note over here on the 10 crowns of impurity that uh, I think we have a lot of that running around in the world today. So uh, let's turn the page. By the way, uh, it's not, it's not um, only politicians. Uh, just as I always say, it's always easy. You know, what's, what's that joke, right? The guy comes out to the rabbi after the sermon. He says, Rabbi, that was so great you said that sermon. You know, Sam really needed to hear that, you know? <laughs> and the rabbi's like, well, actually, you know, you probably also needed to hear it too, you know? So it's very easy to, to dish on the politicians. Uh, we always have to remember that the issues that go on in the world are, are also going on within us as well. And uh, never to think about, oh, well, you know, that person really needs to hear it. We have to work on ourselves as well. Anyway, so he continues. To sinner to engage in destructive behavior, you need to detach your consciousness from your inner self, which yearns to do good and wholesome. This is why negative forces are described as crown, which is detached from the head. All right, so that's another reason. Different reasons given by the commentaries why it's called crown. I'm not going to focus on that one. Okay, so then he continues. These powers of the animal soul consist of seven negative emotional powers emanating from the four negative elements as mentioned above. That the four elements fire, water, air, and earth naturally give rise to four categories of negative behavior. Anger, like fire, always rising. Um, water, self-indulgence. We said all pleasure in this world has water in it. 
air is shallowness and earth is laziness, always just trying to fall down to the ground. So here's what I pointed out, by the way. He started off talking about the emotions. As I said, the animalistic soul starts from an emotional place and then he uses the intellect to acquire what it needs emotionally. The divine soul shares the same architecture as the animal soul, three mental and seven emotional powers. However, the way in which the emotions and intellect function, the animal soul is different. The divine soul's emotions will arise only after reflection. To love, one second, it's not a door here. Okay. Somebody was wanted to wash the garments of their soul. So, okay. The divine soul's emotions will arise only after reflection to love or revere an invisible God. Um, consciousness um, needs to depart from the tangible to the realm of abstract thought so as to perceive the universe in a broader context. You will never have any feelings for God unless you contemplate the meaning of reality first, right? In other words, God's invisible. It's kind of hard to uh, connect and think about God unless you contemplate. Now, if you meditate very often, you can eventually come to a place where you see God very quickly with very little meditation, okay? But naturally, to, to see God, godly things needs meditation. For the animals, on the other hand, its emotions are natural and elemental, and elemental requiring a little or no thought at all. They are lower states of consciousness into which you naturally regress unless you make a concentrated effort otherwise. Now we'll talk about the intellect. The intellect of the animal soul, which produces negative emotions and behaviors, mirrors the divine soul and is divided into three, which are chachma, inquiry, or as we call wisdom, bina, cognition, or as we call understanding, and das, recognition, or as we also call knowledge, the source of the emotion. See chapter three. While thoughtless, visceral emotion represents the core behavior of the animal soul, it is not devoid of intellect, for even a pleasure-seeking impulse is based on basic knowledge, e.g. you know ice cream tastes good, and therefore you want it. As he continues, because the emotions are relative to the intellect. Now he says it a very, very interesting and important line, which is why a child desires and loves small, trivial things. Let's turn the page. Since his intellect is too small and immature to appreciate anything more valuable. Similarly, the child is angered and infuriated by small things. And the same is true with showing off and other negative traits, which are all relative to the child's intellectual depth. In other words, the fact that children will pick a quarter over a dollar uh, because the quarter is shiny and the dollar is not, that doesn't mean that they have a less animalistic soul than the adult, right? And it doesn't mean that the adult who desires a dollar over the quarter is more sophisticated, okay? Or, you know, it just means that your understanding of pleasure is better. And so because you understand pleasure better, therefore your desires for pleasure will be different. Doesn't make you any better. So this goes back to like a, an example. Um, you know, you, you, can, you can look at a unrefined person and think that, uh, you know, the person that's eating ice cream is has has uh, more of an animalistic soul than the guy eating steak. It's not true. It could just be that somebody's elevated their palate. They have a greater appreciation for steak over, you know, ketchup and ice cream. But it doesn't necessarily mean that 
um, they've refined themselves and become better. They just have more refined taste. So that's just something to think about in ourselves. Uh, when we think maybe we've become better people, uh, sometimes we have to think about maybe we've just become more sophisticated animalistic souls. Okay, our, our, <laughs> our animalistic soul has become more sophisticated. We're not necessarily better than the other person. Um, you know, because it's very easy. You know, I, I see a lot of people look down at, I don't want to use any, uh, be careful what you, words you use, you know, but what do we say, people from the South? You know, you, you can look at people in different areas and say, oh, oh, you know, we're so much better than them because of, you know, you know, we're not into the things that they are into. But that's not necessarily a reflection of you being better than them. That just may be a, a reflection of you being more sophisticated than, than them. Um, So we have to stop for a moment because what we're trying to do in this chapter is understand ourselves and what we've been trying to do the entire time. So what this chapter is teaching us is now the ability to evaluate every time that we have an emotion. We need to evaluate. Now, I'm not saying we will evaluate every moment, but there are times we have to evaluate where is this emotion coming from? And uh, what uh, is it serving? You know, I had um, someone call me the other day. Yesterday, he was he called me. He, you know, his his uh, he wanted to know you what what's the Jewish view of getting spanked? In, you know, a Jewish view of discipline because uh, I guess he got it too much when he was a child, and uh, he wanted to know does Judaism is Judaism against uh, you know hitting your children? Is there anything you know in the Torah? Is there anything against it? Um, the actual answer is no. I don't think there's anything there that's against it. it. The general view is that uh, you have to educate your children with love and, um, and you have to educate them in a way that is uh, useful. Um, now, the spanking and hitting that used to go on in schools, you know, where they used to hit your nails or whatever, and, you know, and I hear from my parents, um, I, I don't think that was very useful. Um, but, you know, we have instances and stories of uh, great sages who uh, hit their children. I'll give it, but, but when you hear the stories, you understand it's not the same. It's not just getting frustrated with your child and hitting them. Um, so the two stories I'm going to present to you is um, one story was there was uh, uh, his name was Rabbi Meir Blazinski. Um, he had never hit his child. And the story was that one time his child was walking too far ahead of him and it was very dangerous. He did something very dangerous. Basically, his child did something very dangerous. So the father of mayor felt that he should hit his child, teach him a lesson. But then he wasn't sure. Is it really the right thing or am I just going to hit him because I'm frustrated with him? And it says he went to his room for an hour. And after an hour, he finally decided the right thing was to hit his child. It's very different than the hitting that, you know, went on uh, back in the day. Just another, another story uh, was, um, this goes back also 250 years ago. Uh, these are stories that are written. That's how I, we know about them. So the story goes that there was a, a child uh, who was uh, torturing the animals. You know, the family had animals and this child was torturing animals. And um, the father uh, decided to hit his child. Uh, and the child started crying. But after the child started crying, he heard that his father in the other room was also crying. He was crying that he had to hit his child. And so he, he stopped crying. He understood that his father didn't really want to hit him. He was doing what had to be done to educate him. 
Now, obviously, everything depends on the society, okay? Uh, and today, uh, one should never hit their child. And I, don't, I think it's definitely not helpful anymore. Um, maybe there was a place for the occasional hitting in the past. You know, you can have a discussion with a child psychologist, therapist, and it's a discussion for another time. The point of those stories, though, was um, wh what is the purpose? And, and honestly, even though we don't hit our children anymore, there are some parents that are very psychologically abusive to their children without actually hitting them. You know, the type of punishments you can pull off on your children as well. You can think, well, I'm a better parent because I'm not hitting them. This is what I kept saying before. Uh, sophistication doesn't mean that you're better. So just because a parent is not hitting their child, they can actually be more damaging. The point is that whenever you do anything, you have to evaluate where is it coming from. And, and it's not always easy. Like the example before, you know, that parent that had to sit an hour by themselves to figure out why is it that I want to do this, this item to my child? And so the same thing is in our life is um, evaluating our actions and really evaluating our emotions and trying to figure out where it's coming from. And it's not always apparent and it's not always easy. It's not always easy to figure out where that emotion is coming from. Um, that's what makes it so hard to, um, this is what makes it so hard to, to really better ourselves because it is hard work. But that's why I say that the work of Tanya is a lifetime of work. As I said, many, many times, and I'll repeat again. Obviously, if you're doing the right thing for the wrong reason, keep doing it. But at the same time, we look for long-term stability and long-term stability is to better yourself. And in order to better yourself, you have to constantly evaluate yourself and uh, see why it is, what you're doing and why you're doing it. Um, you know, I mean, this is, you know, I do this in parenting, of course, as well. You know, I have a bunch of little children and I'm always trying to perfect my parenting. Um, well, the same thing we all should be doing in our, in our own personal lives, always perfecting ourselves, trying to become better people and becoming better people. Part of becoming better people, a big part of it is evaluating our emotions because very often our emotions dictate uh, what we do. And uh, we have to think. So let's say um, someone leaves a dirty dish in the kitchen. We get very upset. Uh, where is that emotion coming from? And you know, you get upset and how are you gonna react with your spouse or with your child or whoever left that dirty dish there? Uh, think to yourself next time, am I, where is that anger coming from? Am I, you know, is, am I angry because now I have to wash it? Am I, or, you know, or let's say it was my child, or am I really just trying to teach my child responsibility? And, and that may make a difference in how you react and talk to your child. And, and though, th th that's a great example of the difference in the godly soul, animal soul. Remember, animal soul is all about me. So when you saw the dirty dish that your child left, you're, you're upset because now you have to wash it. That's a focus on you. Or you can focus on, I need to teach my child responsibility. And in that scenario, um, in that scenario, um, probably the way you're gonna talk to your child is different if you're trying to, to, to give your child um, the ability to uh, take responsibility. Um, any questions or comments? Because I've been talking here for a while, but it's, it's such an important, uh, because Latanya doesn't spend a lot of time describing the animalistic emotions. And that's why I want you to think about it. Um, this happens often in charity. You ever have like, you know, should I give this person? Should I not give this person? And, you know, you, I find that as well, not that, you know, I'm very wealthy, but, you know, sometimes people are asking me and if I don't want to give, do I not want to give because I really think it's bad for them? Or do I, you know, just dislike them or, do, you know, Always, we're, we're, we're faced with this dilemma all the time, is where is this 
thought process, where is this emotion coming from? Or I want to get back at somebody, you know? Where is that thought process coming from? Try to always evaluate what is the source of, of what you're trying to do. Now, now you can't do this all day, okay? You, you'll be up, you know, be up to your nose thinking and not doing anything, okay? But there are moments, there are moments in time when we think about these things. And there are moments in time when we probably should make time to think about these things. And this is what the Tanya is teaching us, is that um, the godly soul animals are two two opposites, but they contain very they contain the same exact emotions, and therefore it's always hard to evaluate what's the right path. Um, let us uh, get to the um, uh, last part of the buildup of the opposite of the uh, of the godly soul. So let's take a look here. Oh uh, no! Did we read that? Okay, just as like this. All right, now we're going to talk about the the uh, clothing. So remember, we discussed in the godly soul we had the ten powers, which was three intellectual, seven emotional. We've discussed now in the animalistic soul the ten, the three uh, intellectual, the six emotional. Now we're going to discuss the garments, which the garments for the godly soul is chapter four and five. We're going to discuss the garments as it pertains to the animalistic soul. So let's uh, let's read like this. Having described the 10 core faculties, it's section two on page uh, 85. Having described the 10 core faculties of the animal soul, its intellect and emotions, we now turn to its tools of expression, the garments of thought, speech, and action. While the garments of the divine soul are a vehicle for all things sacred, the animal soul expresses an opposing energy through its impure garments. Your conscious activities of thought, speech, and action might be pure or impure at any given moment, depending on which of your true souls is powering them. So, Think about it like this. Your godly soul and animal soul are pretty much fighting over who's going to get to use the, the garments at any given time because you cannot um, have two different actions and two different thoughts and two different speeches going on at the same time. So at every given moment, think about this. You, you've got a, a war going on. Who's going to get control over those garments? This is like this. In other words, you, you can have conflicting emotions, but you cannot have a conflicting action. Um, it's like trying to jump and not jump at the same, same time. Now, when you use these 10 impure powers of the animal soul to think, speak, or act, then that thought in your brain or that word in your mouth or that power of action in your hands or other limbs are called the impure garments into which the 10 impure powers of the animal soul are dressed at the moment of action, speech, or thought. An important paradigm shift which emerges from the Tanya's doctrine of two souls is that there is no such thing as a spiritually neutral activity. It's an important line. In Jewish law, we find three categories of behavior. The religiously required, such as keeping the Sabbath and giving a charity. The religiously forbidden, such as eating pig or stealing. And see, ordinary acts which are neither religiously required nor forbidden, such as checking your email, buying clothes, right? So one may come to understanding if you just read the book, the Code of Jewish Law. Certain things are good, certain things are bad, and there are other neutral things. According to Tanya, however, it would be a mistake to conclude that this third category is spiritually neutral. Even an ordinary behavior will either promote God consciousness or ego consciousness, depending on your attitude. There is no third option. Either are or you aren't. Okay. Unless you make an effort to carry out an ordinary act amid a higher awareness, the inertia of the animal soul will steer it to ego consciousness. That's your natural state. And he says like this, 
It is these thoughts, words, and actions of the animal soul that constitute all the things that are done under the sun, which are empty and estranged to the spirit. The Zohar writes in the Torah portion of Baalah, so they are distracted to the spirit. So King Solomon writes that all the things of the sun are all empty and estranged to the spirit. Ecclesiastes. Why is King Solomon knocking all of these things that we do? Because he understood exactly as Tanya says. If something is not godly, eating, drinking, going on vacation, taking a swim in the swimming pool, going to the gym, any neutral activity that you can think of, if there is no God consciousness involved, it is ego focused and it's focused uh, and it's, and if something is not godly, then it's, it falls to the impure side. That's really the idea. Either with God or you're not with him. You're either in holiness or you're in purity. Now, this is a tall order, which we're going to talk about more as the Tanya goes on. We're going to discuss more um, uh, next week. But think about it. Uh, you go to the gym. You can go to the gym. You can uh, focus on uh, your beauty because you want, uh, you want to look the greatest in town. Or you can focus on your strength because you want to show off. Um, or you just want to be healthy so you can uh, have more pleasure in life. Okay. Even focusing on being healthy and going to the gym can be wrong. But if you want to be healthy, so you can serve God more. Okay. For example, I went swimming last night. Um, swimming can be a pleasurable activity or, uh, or it can even be a healthy activity, or you can be doing it um, to know, to be stronger, to be able to serve God. You know, the healthier you are, the better you can serve God. Now, we can serve God within our business. We can serve God in our gym. We can serve God in our food. We can serve God everywhere. It doesn't have to be a technical mitzvah. But that's the question in life, is what I'm doing, is it about me or is it not? Is it about me or is it about my mission? And if it's not about your mission, then it's about you. If it's about you, then it's your animal soul. And then automatically it falls to the impure side of this world. Now, that is um, a pretty difficult thing to live with. Um, but that's the truth. Um, we are put on this earth to serve God. Serving God can and should take place at every single moment. And at every single moment, we are given the opportunity who is in the driver's seat. You know, today they have in therapy, they talk about the parts theory. If you've ever heard of it, IFS or other, other different uh, therapies of the parts theory. Um, the Tanya is definitely giving us an idea of the parts theory. You know, who is driving your bus? Who is in control of you right now? Is it your animal soul or is it your godly soul? Everything, yes. Yeah, ask a question, yep. Right. Could you talk about the circumstances for when buying clothes is ungodly? When buying clothes would be ungodly. So it probably falls into, okay, number one, if you're buying, as I mentioned earlier, you're buying a $150,000 watch, most likely it's to show off, right? Certain clothing could be to show off. Um, you can also obviously buy clothing that the code of Jewish law would say you shouldn't wear. So that would also be ungodly, okay? Just by virtue of that. But assuming it's all, you know, kosher things you're allowed to wear. Um, and, and assuming even it's not um, to show off, okay? Showing off again would be a problem. Even assuming all that, if, you're, if your basic life focus is just you, and you're not living life with a mission, then automatically it's it's about you. 
So you're buying clothing so you can cover yourself so you can live life and enjoy life. So automatically in line with your general lifestyle, not if your lifestyle is not God focused, your buying clothing is also not God focused and it's focused on you. Well, can I, can I, can I give you a specific yeah. example? Because the, yeah, the, the extreme example is God. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But okay, so I'm, you know, yeah. TV land can't see me, but I'm, I'm wearing, you know, I'm wearing a polo shirt. Right. Okay. And it's a, it's, you know, it's a blue polo shirt, you know, so. Yeah. You know, uh, what was the thought process? Wow, I like this color. It makes me more presentable as a human being. Uh, it feels comfortable. It wasn't overly expensive. Okay. But it's beyond, you know, um, clothing why, to cover why, up. Why, right, but why is, why is David eating? Why is David living? Why is David buying clothing? I'm hoping that you try to drill into your mind that I'm living for a higher purpose and that will play out in your clothing. Now you can tell whether you are buying clothing for that at certain purchases. That's when they come out, when you're going to look at something or you, you know, you'll see this shiny new article of clothing um, that's really not necessary. And, and if you go ahead and buy it, it may be an indication of why you're buying clothing. You understand what I'm saying? It won't always be apparent. And like I said, the animal soul and the godly soul can buy the same article of clothing. They can, they can actually do the same exact action, but one can be powered by the godly soul, one can be powered by the animal soul. Yeah, well, so my, my interpretation is yeah. that this is not a godly act. You know, that the most, the strictest definition of a godly act of clothing would be come on, right? Okay, I mean, you know. You mean buying white shirts? And white shirts, yeah, yeah, yeah. Putting over the so my, so my blue shirts are non-godly. Oh boy. Well, I, well, like, yeah. Hello. I didn't hear. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. So. Sorry, yeah. I just said thank you, Rabbi. Oh, thank you. Okay. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah. We're at the we're at the one o'clock mark. So if anybody wants to go, you can go. We're we're doing question and answer now. We I did finish my topic for today. Yes. Yeah, right. No, so it just, you know, my, my, like my interpretation of it is, you know, um, according to Tanya and Hasidus, like this blue shirt is not godly. And, and I, I get it, but I'm not sure how comfortable. I, I don't know. I'm so what I would say, what I would say is, yeah. do you understand that exercise can be godly? That's, that's easier. The, the, do you understand that eating can be godly? Yeah. Working can be godly. Yeah. So buying clothing can be godly as well. It, 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 like I said. But if it's not a white shirt or black pants. It doesn't have to be a white shirt. You know, you, you live a certain lifestyle and you're not expected to wear white shirts. I don't necessarily wear white shirts because I'm more holy than someone else, right? Um, in fact, I remember when I was in yeshiva where everybody wears white shirts and, 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 and suits. Within white shirts and suits, some guys would get really fancy white shirts and you know, really hotsy totsy suits and pointy shoes. So you can you can literally do the white shirt, black pants, and the suits, and still be ungodly. Um, you know, but you know, doing it in certain ways. And uh, so it's not it's not exactly what clothing you get that defines. Listen, a wealthy person in Judaism should get better clothing. You know, actually, but they always have to think. You know, there's a famous story. The um, the Alter Rebbe once asked one of his followers, "Why do you have a fancy house?" He was very wealthy. He says, why do you have a chance? He says, listen, 
If I have a fancy house, the community meetings will happen, my, happen in my house. If the community meetings happen in my house, I'll have an opinion at the community meetings. If I have an opinion at the community meetings, maybe I can bring more Chabad ideas into the community. So, you know, that's a godly idea. You know, there, there's nothing wrong with uh, using your wealth if you have it, um, but you always have to evaluate it. And, and yes, um, if you're more wealthy and, and presenting yourself more prestigiously. So we're, we're, right, we're, we're, we're Jews and yeah. we're being evaluated every second. And, and like when we're at the restaurant, if, if we happen to not tip well, ah, typical Jew. So, it being, so even just wearing back to the shirt, yeah. If you happen to have an engagement with somebody who sees you as a Jew, like, oh, you know, what a, what a, wow, this, 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 what a, what a, the, the appearance is a factor. Right. In being accepted by others. Right. And that could lead. Appearance is important. Yeah. Okay. But, and, and you have to evaluate yourself. And sometimes you can be doing things for mixed reasons. You can be doing it for godly and ungodly. And, and, and that's part of actually the sin of Adam. It says when Adam sinned, the good and bad got all mixed. Sometimes but we're doing things for two mixed reasons. This thing just put it into black and white terms. Um, it did put it into black and white terms. That's correct. What black and white means like this. If you're not doing it for godly reason, it's for sure ungodly, which is kind of new to most people. In other words, saying that, um, well, you know, why would, be, why would going to the gym be ungodly, right? But this is what the time is presenting. Yes, Michael. So how, it, it seems very difficult to me to be able to train myself to always think about that every minute of every day is what are my motivations? Who am I doing this for? You know, because some things you just do. I mean, I wake up in the morning and I go to work. Now going to work for me goes, I come into my office and I go on my computer and I do my work. So it's just rote. I just, that's what I do. How, right. how would I think I'm doing this in, in a godly way? Because it just so the, so doesn't, the Tanya, enter, the Tanya, it doesn't enter into the brain. So the answer is that Tanya discusses this later on. And pretty much the idea is like this. There's a reason we have prayers three times a day. When you start off your day right, and the, and the, the morning service is the longest, and you get in the right frame of mind, the rest of your day will follow in that manner. And throughout the day, you remind yourself once in the afternoon and once again in the evening, and you can meditate for a moment here and there. And those are ways of, of keeping that focus alive, okay, despite getting busy with the day. Now, it'll be a constant battle, but that's the focus that you want to keep it. Describe it as imagine in the morning, you build up this giant fire, and over the day, it kind of dissipates, and then you, you got to stoke it a couple times. That's the, that's the ultimate goal of the Tanya is that no, we can't just, you know, think about this once a week. You got to constantly work on this, not necessarily every minute, but at least every morning, then again, you know, possibly in the middle and the end of every day. Does that make more sense? It, it does, but it still, it, it still doesn't. So, so I do chakras at eight o'clock and I, I, I pray. Well, well let's, say, let's say, let's say before you eat, before you eat. You sit down and make a bracha. That's that's a, a wonderful opportune moment to think about why you're right, eating. No, and I was I wasn't worried about eating. I was worried about work, because work to be work to me is the most is the most interesting thing on how to make it godly. Before you sit down and work, uh, or, you know, hopefully you've 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 prayed and you've studied, and now you're ready to get in the you're you're in the right frame of mind. So and the, again. And again, the, the, whether you're working for godly reasons or not will be expressed in certain choices you'll make throughout your workday. 
how you react to certain people who maybe, you know, get you upset in your business day or uh, certain business decisions you make, those will be guided by why you're working. Well, I, yeah, I, always, of, I always think about that. My decisions, I always think about, am I making the right thing? Am I doing the right thing? Am I, am I, am I, am I going down the right road with this? So I, I see that when I make my decisions, but just in, in, in doing the work and so forth, I still, I maybe have to focus more. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Rabbi. You're welcome. Uh, like I said, it's about, it's about starting up. You know, you cannot, uh, think about your intentions all the time. I mean, you know, let's say you're doing exercise. You, you can't, it's hard to really think every moment while you're exercising. I, I'm, I'm doing curls right now so I can be healthier, so I can, you know, live a long life and serve God. But it's when you start, that's, you know, why you're getting into it. And if you start with that in mind, then when certain things come up in the middle of it, then you'll make that decision. That will help make sure you make the right decision when you're in the middle. Does that make sense? So in other words, if you started your business day with the right frame of mind, then in the middle of the day, when something comes up, you'll be much quicker to make the right decision based on your godly soul because that's the frame of mind you went into. So every morning I say my mode ani when I wake up, that puts me in the right frame of mind. Uh, that's the, yep, that's a good start. You know, hopefully, you know, and then you, the more you add in more prayers, the, the stronger that conviction and feeling and, and uh, connection to God will, will be present throughout the rest of your day. Yeah, Modani is definitely starting off on the right foot. That's, you know, we can, we can always do more, all of us. Always. Always. Yeah. always. Thank you, Rabbi. I got to run. Thank you. We will I discuss more. Next work now that I'm in the godly mood. Of yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> go do work while you're in the godly mood. We will discuss this topic more next week. So thank you. thank you. Oh, wait, Dr. Yannick. Oh, he went. He missed my joke. Okay. <laughs> I wanted to torture him with my joke. Uh, Baruch, I, I, won't, I won't share it with you. Don't worry. Okay. I'm sure I'll hear it at some point. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Rabbi. All right. Good. Have a good one. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thank Bye -bye. you. Bye-bye, everybody.